0: Hey, before I, uh, speak to you, I just want to tell you something alarming, uh, that happened in my, uh, uh, life several times now. One of them happened this week. I kind of have spiritual heroes. Do you have those? You know, like maybe your grandma <laughs> or somebody like that. And, uh, maybe it's an author that you loved or a preacher that God really used in your life or something like that. Uh, this week, one of my heroes, um, was accused of something that, uh, no man should do and, uh, that hurts like crazy, doesn't it? I feel for him. I feel for the people involved. I feel for his family. I feel for the, his ministry. I feel for the kingdom. It just hurts inside, right? And uh, it was a year and a half ago that another one of my heroes, one of Chris's heroes, we were talking about that yesterday at men's breakfast uh, as we were gathered together, um, you know, was discovered as, as having a little bit of spiritual pride that kind of got ahead of him and uh, kind of ruined his ministry. Five years before that, one of my heroes was discovered to have a ton of spiritual pride, and he fell from ministry. And I think to myself two things. Number one, I think there, except for the grace of God, go I, right? Uh, none of us uh, feel like we're immune to that sort of thing. If we do, um, take take note, because you may stumble and fall. The other thing that comes to my mind is um, a common denominator in that is spiritual pride. Just feeling like you're above um, a certain behavior or above a certain accountability that um, makes you feel like you're, you're better than the others and that will never happen to you. And take heed, lest you fall would be the counsel. I share that with you just to remind you, never put your eyes on human beings. Always put your eyes on Jesus. He is the only one who is worthy of your hero worship, (laughs) so to speak. And I say that to you as well, to say, look to your own self, to your own spiritual motives. This is Communion Sunday, and as you think of your life, we're going to talk about looking at our motives. And Communion Sunday, we always say, one should examine oneself before eating the bread or drinking the cup. And uh, that's kind of what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. I would really encourage you, the text is not going to be on the screen today, I'd really encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. As always, if you're smart enough to have a smartphone, or dumb enough as the case may be, you can load that up and load up the YouVersion Bible app and uh, look for an event near you, and uh, you should find Kerwin's Soil Alliance's event on that. We're going to read two different sections from Matthew 6 in a short time. Can I pray before we begin? Just pray once more. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Father, we want to hear from you today. We want to understand what you have to say for us. So Holy Spirit of God, speak to our hearts as you deliver the message of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. So this summer, (coughs) this summer I had a couple little boys living at my house. Their parents happened to be there as well. It was my grandchildren. One of them was two years old, one of them was one year old. (laughs) Ha ha ha, grandchildren. They are just a pretty cool thing to have. It was great having them there. It was about the first week that they got there that the younger of the two took some of his first steps, you know? And he's walking, and I got to see that. That's such a cool thing to see. Have you ever seen, Robbie, your grandchildren take their first steps? No, you don't know what it's you don't know what it's about then, man. Yeah. It's just good stuff, right? Watching that happen. It seemed as though, and this is weird, but it seemed as though, just as soon as the younger one learned to take his first steps, The older one learned to do this. You got that? It was just amazing to me. The younger one's walking along there, waddling, and the older one's like, he's playing with a car or whatever. He sees him like, yeah, boom, yeah, and then you just go back to the car. And and I can remember, I can remember thinking, don't do that. It's embarrassing. (laughs) And on top of that, I can remember thinking, don't do it because it's rude. And so we would say, buddy, don't knock your brother down. Don't push him down. Don't push him down. And I found myself saying this. Hey, listen, look at me. Why are you doing that? Now I want you to think about that question for a minute. Why would you do that? <laughs> he's two years old. He doesn't know why he's doing that, you know? He's just, there he is. So I'm going to push him. It's just like a, an instinct for him to do that. He has no clue why he does most of the things that he does. And, and if I'm doing something that maybe I shouldn't be doing, and you look at me and say, why are you doing that? I don't know. I, I, and and, and I, I don't have an answer for that, more often than not, more often than not. The why question is a question that, while it, the answer to the why question may be helpful, generally speaking, asking the why question isn't all that helpful. In fact, when you're studying counseling, or if you're studying coaching, often they will say, don't even bother asking the client the question, why? And there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of them is because The answer to that question is really tricky, because we don't know why we do the things we do unless we give it some serious thought. It's very difficult to identify the why, the motives, the motivations that are in our heart. And that is what Jesus is talking about in this passage in Matthew 6. So I'm going to read a half dozen verses, starting in verse 1, and then three more verses when we get to verse 16. So follow along. Uh, in your text if you would. Jesus is speaking in a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount and he says these words, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now move ahead, if you would, to verse 16. We'll read three more verses. When you fast, do not look somber, as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father, who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, so Jesus is talking about the good things that you do as people of the kingdom. He's talking about things like giving to the needy. He's talking about things like looking to God in prayer. He's talking about things like fasting before God. Those are good things. But Jesus kind of begins to warn us in this section of the Sermon on the Mount that a good thing can be a bad thing. That a good thing can actually become a problem. And generally, that has to do with our motives, the reasons we do the good things we do. And motives are hard to discern, even for ourselves. If you give some time to reflection, you will probably recall occasions when you did something that you thought was with good intentions, but in retrospect, you kind of wonder, hmm, I'm not sure my motives were as pure as I thought they were. I was actually being a little bit selfish. Sometimes you can realize that on your own. Sometimes you need a good friend who's willing to help you with a beam in your eye, so to speak. That's why Jesus warns us to be careful. I mean, those were the first two words in chapter 6 that we read. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. You want to be careful if you're doing good things in front of others. Because sometimes it can be hypocritical. And far too often, for me at least, it is. All too often when we do good things in front of others, we don't really care as much about doing good as we care about looking good as we're doing that good. By the way, doing some research on this, scholars tell us that It was standard practice for the pagans around Israel to always announce when they were giving something to the poor. It was standard fare, and evidently that was infiltrating the people of God in Israel. But the Gentiles, that is the non-Jewish people, the the Greeks and, and the Jews, I'm sorry, the Greeks and the Romans, the Greeks and the Romans, they didn't have built into their society a purpose of helping the needy. It wasn't part of their thinking. And so whenever they gave, they gave to secure their popularity. They gave so that they would look good. And in their giving, they were actually lying. Because they were saying, look how much I care about others. <laughs> and honestly, they just cared about themselves. That's hypocrisy. And that's what Jesus is warning us against when he says, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And he's obviously speaking figuratively. Your your hands don't have brains in them. They have no awareness of what the other is doing. But with that language, Jesus is showing us the value of keeping giving private. He shows us how to protect ourselves from living from the wrong motive. And that's really important when it comes to giving because The people of the kingdom are generous people. People of the kingdom love to give. Kingdom people want to give. They don't say, oh, wow, here comes the offering plate again. They're like, yeah, this is part of my Christian life, giving is, and I love to give because kingdom people know that God loves a cheerful giver. And so they give openly and freely. But it can become a problem when it becomes publicly because then we're not avoiding hypocrisy. Practicing righteousness in front of others is kind of risky because it can become hypocritical. It's risky as well because you can actually be taking glory from God that belongs to God. Now, I I, can, I can't think of anyone I know who would say, I think I'll steal God's glory today. I mean, I've never expressed that goal. I've never had that conscious goal. You probably haven't either. But speaking as a human being, I'm pretty sure I've done it. I know I have done it. And the problem with that is what God says about his glory, he says, I am the Lord, this is my name, I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. God doesn't want you to take credit for that which he has empowered you and enabled you to do. And when I do take credit for that which God has empowered me and enabled me to do, I'm risking taking glory for myself, glory that actually belongs to him. You see, kingdom people take measures to ensure that God is the one who receives the glory. I mean, probably, if you've been around a while, you've heard me tell this story before. It's my favorite example of this. It's when Laurel and I were in college. We had just finished up college. We were getting ready to go to churches in order to interview and candidate and try to become a pastor of a church. And I felt at that time that I'd probably have to go to a couple hundred different churches before I found one foolish enough to hire me, you know? And we had this old Dodge diplomat. Do you remember them? Those things were worn out when you took them off the showroom floor. And ours was rusty, it was worn out, it made noise, I carried oil, a case of oil in the trunk with me, you know, it was that car, right? And I thought, I'm going to get a new car. So I bought a Ford, a brand new Ford Escort, 1986, five speed in the floor, air conditioning that worked, right? Yeah. Anybody want to guess how much my monthly payment was? Look, if you're under 30, hold real still, because this might make you mad. Brand new car, $87 a month. Wow, (laughs) I know, right? makes you mad, doesn't it? It even had an AM-FM cassette in it. It was a nice little car. We we got like 130,000 miles out of that car, and then we sold it to a friend, and they got more miles on it. I kept fixing it after they bought it. Never sell a car to a friend, okay? That, That happened to me there, right? That doesn't always happen, though. <laughs> I've had good experiences along those lines as well. So here Laura and I are, just getting ready to graduate from college, getting ready to travel all over the United States to candidate at churches, and we have this new car, and I didn't do the math right. For the first time in our married life, I looked and I saw that the income we were getting was not sufficient to cover the expenses that we had. There were unexpected expenses that came up with graduation, and it was a scary moment. And at about the same time that I realized my income is less than my expenses, someone began to send us cash in the U.S. mail. And they were smart about it because sending cash in the mail is generally a bad idea, but they would wrap it in paper so if you held it up to the light, you couldn't tell that it was cash, and they sent it to us in the mail. People don't generally do that with cash because it can be stolen, but that's exactly what this person did. No check, cash. No note accompanying it. No return address. No way for us to say thank you. No way for us to give them glory. And it was there every week. It was $20 the first week. It was 40 the next week. I said to Laurel, if this keeps doubling, we're, we're good. We're good, right? Because I understand exponential growth, right? It ended, finally. It ended, finally, when it reached $120 a week. Obviously, it hadn't doubled to get there, but $120 a week. And as mysteriously as it had begun it ended at the same time that we no longer needed it. Isn't that just amazing? We hadn't told anyone our need. You know why? I got too much pride. I wasn't going to tell anybody that I did bad math. We hadn't told anyone. We never knew where it came from. The only one we could thank was God. And the only one who could receive glory from us was God. You see, doing Good, without letting others know you're doing that good, increases the likelihood that they will glorify God. That's the way of the kingdom. That's the way of the kingdom. Doing good deeds so others can see them can be risky because it can be hypocritical. You can be sealing God's glory. And third, <coughs> it can actually deny God the opportunity to reward you. It almost feels as though Jesus is saying this. Look, if you do something good, you're going to get rewarded. Someone's going to say, attaboy, boy." it's either going to be the people that you make sure see you doing the good thing or it's going to be God because you made sure the people didn't see you doing the good thing. And if you have a choice between getting rewards and hearing boy" from people or God, don't choose the former. Choose the latter. Choose God. Because when you, he says it in verse two, those people have already received their reward in full. But when you give on the sly <laughs> so that nobody sees it, your heavenly Father will reward you. In the kingdom, people want to honor the king. I want to honor Jesus Christ. You want to honor Jesus Christ. And in the kingdom, the king wants to reward the people. (laughs) He wants to reward me. He wants to reward you. And doing the good thing in front of people denies him that opportunity. Now, I need to take a little detour here. We've been going through this outline. We're going to take a little detour. I'm going to share with you just some thoughts in a moment. But first, let me tell you why I'm sharing them. Because some of you are going to look at this and say, of course he doesn't mean that. But I've preached long enough to know that when I'm preaching a sermon like this, someone can take these three points I'm going to give you and feel like, well, does that mean this? No, it doesn't mean this. Here they are. Number one, Jesus is not saying, don't use the offering envelopes, okay? That's not what he's saying. I've had people say that to me. I don't use the offering envelopes because I don't want my right hand to know what my left hand is doing. There's a couple reasons to use offering envelopes. One is the treasurers will love you. Two is two is it, it is, it lets you direct your giving. So you can say, I want this to go to missions and I want this to go to the general fund and I want this to go to debt reduction. You can direct your giving. Another reason is because it's good stewardship to take advantage of any tax deduction that, that the government offers you. And fourth, it's good for you to know at the end of the year how well you did in in your desire to honor God. And so you can get a receipt if you're using envelopes. So yeah, number one, Jesus isn't saying don't use the offering envelopes. Number two, Jesus is not saying to avoid helping others in case somebody can see you. I'd really like to help that person, but there's a lot of people around, so I'm not gonna. It's not what he's saying, Okay. By all means, if someone needs help in your position to help them, do it, whether anybody's watching or not. Number three, Jesus would not want you to judge someone else who you saw doing their good works publicly. I have done that countless times. Well, they just lost their reward in heaven. Right? I've done that. I'm so sorry that I've done that don't do that. It's none of my business. It's none of your business. It's like so many other things in the kingdom. Who and how the king rewards is the business of the king. It's not my business. It's his business. Okay, that's the end of the detour. Let's get back onto the highway. This passage that Jesus gives us actually gives us different areas. He gives them by way of example, to guard ourselves against these dangers. And the first area is that of prayer done in public. Have you ever been at a gathering? Maybe you're at a family picnic or a family reunion or something like that. And you're gathered together, and, and you're called on, or not somebody's called on, not you. Somebody's called on to say grace. Hey, would you say grace? And they do a five-minute prayer for grace. You ever had that happen? No, you didn't. Good girl. I'm glad. How old are you? Nine? Nine? Yeah, you'll see it. It's coming. So yeah, they, they pray for the military. That's good to pray for the military, by the way. They pray for their friend who's having financial problems. They pray for their nation. That's good to do. These are good things. They pray for the missionaries. They pray for their family budget. And they pray for that one friend that they saw down at the market the other day who just looked like he needed a touch from Jesus. They pray for him too. And then, oh and oh yeah, and God, um, thanks for the food too. Amen, you know? Okay, now listen. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to that individual. I'm not encouraging you to be disrespectful toward them. I'm not encouraging you to critique the prayers of others. And I'm not making fun of prayer. Here's what I'm doing. I'm asking you to do what Jesus is asking you to do. Think about your public prayers. Guard yourself. Critique yourself. Examine your motives. Because prayer is not an opportunity for me to show off my deep commitment to Christ. Prayer is not an opportunity for me to show off my theological prowess or my biblical knowledge. It's not a chance for me to just show how deeply sympathetic I am toward this person, that person, and that other dear, dear, needy person. Just use Jesus' words in verse 5 as your guide. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand praying so people can see them. They received their reward in full. And then in verse 6, he says, just pray humbly, humbly to God. And kingdom people guard themselves against spiritual pride by talking to God personally and talking to him simply. Here's a second area that God or that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he talks about your spiritual life, bragging about your spiritual life. Several years ago, the Christian Post ran an article because the NFL had decided on Super Bowl Sunday, they heard there's a lot of churches that were using that as an outreach, as a bridge-building event. Hey, we have these big screens. Let's during Super Bowl Sunday, nobody comes anyway, because they're home watching the Super Bowl. Let's invite them here. We'll serve pizza. We'll we'll give them soft drinks and everything else. We'll use our big screens. Or let's do it in the in the gym, you know, set up a thing there. Or let's do it outside. Let's have a big Super Bowl outreach they had. And the NFL's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think there this is intended for the private use of our audience. No, 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 can't do that. So the NFL was kind of leaning on churches about that. And the Christian Post wrote an article about that in which they interviewed several pastors, and then at the end of the article They open the comments. Note to self, never read the comments. That goes on a lot of Facebook posts too, right? And in the comments, one overly pious person wrote this. I'll be at church during the Super Bowl, but it won't be to watch the Super Bowl. Hmm. And anyone on to criticize? Anyone whose church is doing that and anyone who wasn't at church on Sunday night like he was. He was wearing his holiness like a badge on his chest. You know? (laughs) That is not the way of the kingdom. Jesus warns against that kind of prideful heart when he talks about things like giving in secret and everything else he's saying here. Kingdom people don't brag about their spiritual life. They brag about the grace of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. That's what we brag about. Jesus gives us the third area. By way of example, he talks about showing off your sacrifices. When you fast, he says... Maybe you've met people who tell you how much they've sacrificed for the kingdom. Maybe you've heard people talk about how much time they spend in prayer and fasting. That kind of bragging, it's distasteful to your ears, is it not? It's distasteful to God as well. That's why Jesus says, when you fast, don't look somber, as the hypocrites do, trying to disfigure your face so everyone knows you're so spiritual and fasting. He says, go ahead and get a haircut. Comb your hair, take a shower, clean up, put on a good shirt. Don't let people know that you're fasting. And then your Father who is unseen, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. Listen, people make sacrifices for the kingdom. It is the kingdom way. Over and over again we make sacrifices, but we don't wear them like some kind of a badge. It's not the way of the kingdom. Jesus actually shows us how to do good in the kingdom. And it can be summed up with one word, carefully, carefully. I mean, if you go back to the beginning, remember the first two words of this section of the Sermon on the Mount, The first two words of chapter six, verse one says, be careful. In other words, think. Think before you act. Be mindful of what's going on in your heart. Consider your motivations and how they're panning out. Be reflective. Kingdom people examine their hearts before God. You know a great time to do that? Communion. (laughs) Communion, because right in the middle of the Bible's most lengthy text addressing the practice of communion, which we do the first Sunday of every month at Carbalsal Alliance. Right right, right in the middle of that passage in in 1 Corinthians, it says everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And there's a specific application that God has in mind for the church at Corinth, but there's an application to you and me as well. Because in the kingdom, self-examination is a way of life. We're not talking about morbid, Introspection, we're not talking about, oh, I'm so bad and self-loathing. We're just talking about taking your spiritual pulse. How am I doing with this issue of humility and motives in the kingdom? We're talking about asking the Spirit of God, show me, show me what needs to change. We're talking about looking at ourselves through the light of God's Word, through the light of Scripture, like we're doing right now. We're talking about listening to the Holy Spirit. We're talking about kind of living out the words of the psalm that says, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what self-examination is. And it's a part of the kingdom to consider what is your motive when you pray aloud? And, And what is your motive as you give? And what is your motive when you're called to sacrifice, to give something up, and you do it? If you find the wrong motives, listen to this sentence. If you find you have the wrong motives, you'd be better off to stop. Better still. (laughs) Rather than stopping ministry because you're doing it for the wrong reasons, why not start doing it for the right reasons? How about that for an idea? How about we start doing it to serve others and to please God? How about it becomes a spiritual act of worship for us to do these kinds of things. Jesus doesn't say, stop praying. Jesus doesn't say, stop giving. Jesus doesn't say, stop fasting. Jesus tells you how to do that in humility and how to do it in a way that God is honored. So as you come to the Lord's Supper, examine your heart. Take a look and say, what are my motives? And he'll answer you. And as you move forward, (coughs) as you move forward into the week, try spending some time alone with God Try spending some time with him so that you know you're doing it for the right reasons. Time alone with God. Now listen, this may not make sense to you if you're kind of new at following Christ. It may not make sense to you if you've been around a while. But, but let me just say this. Often, the reward for spending time alone with God is that you got to spend time alone with God. That's often the reward. And genuinely engaging in time alone with God, that is something he will definitely reward. (laughs) I can ask a little two-year-old, hey, buddy, why would you push him down like that? Why do you do that? He doesn't know. He's just a little boy. He just does it. I'm a full-grown man, and I don't know why I do some of the things I do. I don't push people down very often, but... (laughs) (laughs) but unless I am intentional about how I'm living my life in the kingdom, I will be out of touch with my motives. Communion. It's the time we set aside to talk to God about who we are. And it is a great time to examine ourselves and our motives. So I want you to do that today as we celebrate communion. I want to pray before they play. Uh, so that you can kind of get your heart focused on that. Okay, so please unite your heart with me while I do this incredible prayer that I'm so good at doing. No, that's not what we're here for, right? Please unite your heart in prayer with me as we ask God to open our eyes to to who we are and who we can be. Father in heaven, that is all we ask. By Your Spirit, help us see ourselves as who we are. Expose the wrong motives. Show us the right motives so you might be honored in Christ's name.